a word from John 6, 1 through 14. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down, about 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. This is the word of the Lord. Sunday. And it is a beautiful Sunday, not just because the weather is beautiful, but because we are here worshiping you. We are here together in community, and whether that community is here under this pavilion or out online together, we are here in community, and we are one under you. And it makes it a beautiful Sunday morning. Lord, I pray that you would um, use the scripture that probably many of us have heard many times to learn something new today, that you would speak through the words that I share today, and that it would be your message, your glory, and you who shine today. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Good morning, Grace City. 
So thank you, Kelly, so much for reading that scripture and that story. I was thinking a lot about this um, idea of stories that we've been kind of challenged to share this summer. And our small group has been sharing our stories. Um, and so I was the one who was sharing my story this week. And I was kind of trying to think, like, what part of my story do I want to share? What am I sharing? And it was one of those days where um, you ever have those days where you're switching between five million different things. So, you know, I'm getting a text from a friend about one thing. My mom's calling me about something else. I'm taking care of something for work. The people that pay me there and then getting another call from someone else and then also thinking about church and you just I'm like I'm wearing so many different hats and I know all of you wear so many different hats on a given day right you're a father you're a mother you're a worker you're a daughter you're a friend and all of those can be a little bit you're just wondering what's going on and I was reminded of the show that I watched with my um, family a lot when I was growing up called whose line is it anyway any of you guys know that show so it's an improv show, for those of you who don't know, and I actually really love improv comedy. And so it's this hilarious show where the, the actors don't really know what's going on, but they get a line or they get a game show, and sometimes usually only one of the characters really know what the goal is, and the, everyone else is just kind of reacting. But then a bell will hit or something will change, and then all of a sudden someone else is in charge, and they're constantly changing what the story is, who's the main person, what the goal of the, the game is, and it, it changes. And it reminded me that's kind of like life. You know, you're always changing. Something, you can have your entire day planned, and a text will come, or an email will come through and be like, well, there went that plan. And then you go through and you make another shift, and you think you know where your day is, and then you, um, I'm going to turn this off. Um, and then you, you change and then something else changes it and you just make it make a move again. And so when I think about that and that, that idea of improv, that we're, we're often either the leading character or sometimes we're the one reacting, we're the supporting character. And all of those are important. And in those different stories, your perspective is different, right? And you, and it doesn't make your perspective less true even though it's different than someone else's because it's your truth but it's not maybe the full story. And it's not the whole story, and it's not the story that maybe someone else should tell when they're talking about the whole situation. And you know, you can, anyone who has been like a parent has probably, you know, you have the kids fighting, and one tells one side of the story, and the other tells the other side of the story, and you kind of come down like, probably somewhere in the middle there. Um, but that, that, that's all of us, right? You know, coming here on a Sunday morning, my perspective of what Sunday service is going to be is going to be different than Corey's. It's going to be different than John's. It's going to be different than Meg's. It's all going to be different, but they're all true. And I think it's one of those things, and I'm going to give an example of where I think we kind of get it, but it's harder for smaller situations. But to, where we get it is when we think about big events like 9-11. This might date me a little bit, but I think a lot of us can all remember where we were on 9-11. We remember who we were with, we remember that day, we remember how we learned about those events. And we each have a story. And a lot of times we share, and we're coming up on the 20th anniversary next month of that, and I'm sure we'll have a chance to share those stories of where were you on 9-11. You know, my story was I was at college and my college was actually only about 40 minutes from Shanksville, Pennsylvania, where Flight 93 went down. So my perspective, and I had a lot of friends and um, uh, schoolmates 
whose families lived in that general area, and there wasn't much information about where exactly that plane went down. They weren't sure if, it had, if any civilians were affected down on, on the ground. And so that's my perspective, which is different than someone in New York City, and it's different than someone down in DC, and different than someone out in California. But all of our stories matter, and we get that for 9-11, right? We listen to them, because when we hear all of the stories, we learn what a large impact 9-11 was. And we take all of those stories, and we put them together to make the one story about what 9-11 was for us as a country. Have anyone seen the musical Come From Away? And it's this musical based on 9-11. It's a town gander in, um, up in Newfoundland in Canada. And it is a small, tiny town that doubled in size when all of these transatlantic flights on 9-11 landed there. And so it was a town of 7,000 that went to like 20,000 and had to find food and shelter for all of these these people who didn't know what was going on. It's a beautiful musical if you get a chance to see it. I highly recommend it. Um, but that's another story. It's another side. It was something that I, hadn't, I didn't learn about until probably in the past um, couple of years. So here's the thing. If you only listened to my story for 9-11, you would miss a lot about what actually happened on 9-11. Not that my story is not true, not that I'm not telling you everything I know about that day, but you would miss a ton. And so it's not just about one perspective of a story. And sometimes we have trouble with that when we're in these smaller everyday situations, right? Like you all would never say like, oh, talk to Kristen, she'll tell you everything she, you need to know about 9-11. But sometimes you listen to a friend and they tell you one side of a story and that becomes the truth and that becomes the only side of the story but that's only one side. And so the idea is we need to look at the story in its entirety from multiple perspectives because that's when we get the fullness and richness of the full story. So today we're, gonna, we're looking at this familiar story to probably most of you on the feeding of the 5,000 and uh, as Kelly read it and we're gonna look at it, I hope, from a slightly different angle. You know, I think many of you, maybe for those of you who grew up in the church, could recite this story from, from Sunday school, and Jesus came, gave thanks, five loaves, two fish, lots of people were fed, and that would be your kind of takeaway from there. But I want us to look at it in a little bit different, that's why I chose the, um, the story from, from John, because you really get to see some different perspectives. And this story is in all four Gospels, which is, not, is, a, is, is rare. So let's first look at this story from the perspective of Philip. Jesus surveys the crowd and thinks that they should provide food. It's at least 5,000 men, as it says, which means there are probably more like 10,000 people there because they aren't counting the women and the children. And he says, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for everyone to just even have a bite. Philip's answer is pretty realistic, right? Like, as a realistic person, I get that. That's probably the answer I would have given. Someone says, how are we going to feed these people? I would look around, I'd count the number of people, I'd think about how much food costs and do a little calculation and give you an answer. That's, that's how you answer that question, right? But he wasn't being asked that question by someone who is confined by things like money and resources and time. 
He was asked by Jesus. The guy who had told the paralytic to walk, who had healed the blind. He was the one who had performed miracles. He wasn't asked by another person. He was asked by God. And so when we get asked a question by God, what is our response? Are we giving the response of, here's the realistic way that we need to go about it? Are we giving the response, are we looking at the situation and tapping into the power of the person that asked us that question? Grace City, we were given the mission of reconciling people to God and to one another. That came from God. And when he asks us, we don't give him a 10-point plan of how we're going to do it. Not that we're not strategic, not that we don't give thoughtfulness, but that, plan, that mission is not going to be done by any plan or any resources or list of talents that we have. It is going to be done through him, through his power, through his gifts, through him. That is how we accomplish those big God problems. So let's switch gears, and we're going to look at Andrew. He offered up what he saw there. He said, look, here's someone. They have five loaves, two fish. I'm going to say that probably Andrew knew that that wasn't enough to feed 10,000 people. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that. But I'm going to guess that he had been around Jesus enough to at least say, I've seen him take little things and turn them into big things. I don't know what he's going to do with this, but here's a little bit. Maybe he had um, heard of the stories of Jesus turning water to wine. Maybe he had seen, he had been part of when Jesus took mud and put it on the eyes of the blind man and it washed up and cured him of the blind. He had seen and heard stories of Jesus taking small things and doing miraculous things. And so he says, here's what we have. And then the young person who's going to kind of combine them. We don't know. It said, all the translations say boy. It could be a girl. So it could have been a girl. But this young person that's there, they maybe had packed a lunch. And they were like, I'm the one who's prepared. I'm not going to go hungry even though all these other 5,000 people are. But gives it up. He gave up all of his or her food for this. And if I were him or her, I would probably have thought, I mean, I guess I'll give it up, but, like, I was prepared, and why isn't everyone else? And now I'm not going to have any food if this doesn't actually work out well. But he or she gave it up. And so here it's just as simple of, like, here's what we have. And we come to Grace City with that mission, and we say, here's what we have. God, take and do so much more than we could imagine. There are many times where we are called to offer something what seems so meager to us, but that can be magnified for him. You may wonder when you're doing your tithe and offering, what, you know, $10 is going to do, what $100 is going to do. Like, how is that going to help anything? But it's not just about that $10 or that $50 or whatever. It is about the combined and what God can do with that small amount You may wonder, when you have a jam-packed schedule, how you could ever give of your time. You're like, I am booked from sunup to sundown and double booked sometimes at that. And you're like, what can I do? I have an hour, maybe a week. What could I do with that? An hour a week could be tutoring a sharp kid. 
That's just one episode of whatever show you're binging on Netflix. One hour a week. $20, I could maybe buy a dinner or lunch or something. Or maybe that could buy school supplies for a city kid who's not gonna have a backpack or any school supplies this year. You can wonder, what is it gonna, what could that matter? Why does it matter? And yet maybe that kid that you bought the school supplies with goes on and goes to college and then cures cancer. You don't know. And they had the confidence to do well in school because they had all the supplies. You don't know what your small offering is going to do in God's kingdom. And sometimes we just need to know here. And it's not just about our time and our resources. It's also about who just showing up and saying, I'll be there. I was reminded in listening to the story of Araminta, which is an anti-human trafficking organization here in Baltimore, that Bob and I were part of being the founders of. And when I look, so I'm gonna list, if, if I told you you're gonna form an organization to fight human trafficking, who do you want on there? You know who God put on that team? The owner of a Krav Maga studio, a scientist, an actor, a pharmaceutical sales rep, and a couple of pastors. That's not the team the world would ever assemble to say, this is the team to go and fight this problem. But it was the team that God assembled. And we all showed up with, here's what I have. I don't know what it's gonna do, but here's what I have. And that is part of our call, Grace City, to show up and sometimes just say, here's what I have. God, take and magnify. The other perspective of the story is the crowd. There were 10,000 people there, as I mentioned, and they were the recipients of this miracle. Many of the people in that crowd, I'm gonna guess, didn't even get to see that beginning part, didn't maybe get to see that it was starting with five loaves and two fish. You know, if you've ever been in a crowd of 10,000 people, if you're in the back, you're not seeing much of what's going on up front. But they saw the food being passed around. And I kind of wondered what that must have been like for them. And I was reminded, so when I was at Hopkins, one of my unofficial jobs was to always cut the birthday cakes. And I got very good at it. So, but we had a team of probably 50 and during the summer, like 60 people. And each month we would have a birthday cake for, for everyone's whose birthday. Sometimes the cakes were about this big. They weren't very big. But I needed to cut them in enough pieces so that everyone who was there got a piece. And so, you know, and I know everyone loves their free food, but I'm going to say in my time, there's no one who loves free food as much as a bunch of hungry grad students and postdocs who aren't paid much and getting free cake. They get anxious about making sure they get their cake. And so as I'm cutting and I'm cutting the pieces and trying to make them, like, not too small, but small enough so everyone, I hear people in the back saying, don't forget me, I, I, I need a piece of cake. I, need, I, I want cake, I want cake, I haven't gotten cake. Heard that a lot, so cutting, probably one of the more stressful things I did during my time at Hopkins. But, um, <laughs> you know, there was the anxiety because everyone wanted cake. But what you hear in the story is how plentiful it was. And so my guess is during this crowd, there wasn't a sense of like, oh no, they're gonna run out, because there were baskets and baskets full left over when this was said and done. They just got to sit and watch the food, the fish, the bread come by in plenty. 
that was the, the, that idea of not having to be anxious about it. And I'm sure at that point, they did recognize it was a miracle. They didn't know where it came from. They didn't know that it started from five loaves and two fish. But they had to have realized that there's no way that anyone showed up there with that much food to feed that crowd. That much they knew. And so their job in that was to receive the miracle, to simply be in awe of what was being provided. That not just in awe of the provision, but in awe that someone cared enough to make sure that they were fed. Yes, they were hungry, but they weren't starving. Like, it might have just been like, you're going to not eat dinner that night. Like, it wasn't dire, but yet Jesus cared enough to make sure that they were fed. Sometimes our role in a story is simply to receive and be amazed and be thankful. Do you have moments when you just stop and you look around and you're in awe? Do you let yourself take that time? Do you ask God to give you eyes to see what he is doing so that you can stand in awe? One of my moments of standing in awe was Easter of this year, and I was standing in the back, and it was our first service coming back after not, and just seeing so many of us come together after such a hard year. And as I look at our church, and I stop, and I think, and I look, we are not a church that are confined by a building. As you've been with us for a while, we've jumped to a lot of different buildings, and we're now here in a pavilion, and some of you are watching us from home. We're not confined by that, and that God's faithfulness, that God's mission, that God's love is here, and to get to see all of you coming back and worshiping together filled me with awe to see what God can do with sometimes us just saying, here's what I've got. So coming back to our scripture today, the story of the 5,000, is this the story of the 5,000? Is it the story of Philip? Is it the story of Andrew? Or is it Jesus' story? His miracle. Whose story is it anyway? The answer to all is this is God's story. And as his children, we are called to glorify him, and our story should be reflecting who he is. John's inclusion of this in, of, um, in this gospel, of this story, is to show that Jesus is the bread of life. He is the sustainer. He is the sustenance of life. And while I argue that food is a vital and very necessary component of life, but to truly thrive in life, it's not just about meeting the basic needs. It's about thriving. It's about love and care. This is about learning how we can depend on him and learning how he can take so little and turn it into so much. The young person who shared that little bit of the five loaves and two fish, what a story she has, right? All I gave was this, and look how many people it fed. What an amazing story that she gets to tell. So as we look at this story, I'm positing there are three ways that we need to look at every story and situation. So the first is we need to realign our vision. We can't be like Philip that when we are approached with a God problem that we give him a human answer. We need to look at every situation and the issues that we face 
and look at it from God's perspective. What if Jesus had listened to his disciples in other versions of this story and other gospels? The disciples tell him to send the crowd away. What if he had listened to Philip and go, okay, go collect enough money from everyone and go off to the town and go buy food? Or what if he had just said, laughed at the person who had handed him five loaves and two fish? When we look at the problems and things in our lives and we don't ask God to reveal what he wants to do in that situation, what he is going to say, we miss out on so much. We need to have eyes to see how God is going to surprise us. We need to have courage to step out and offer whatever meager offering it is. And sometimes you can't just say it's, when I say meager, I don't mean it's like you're shaking out your spare change in your couch and giving that. And if that's all you have, that's great. But if you have a lot more, I'm saying give what you have. Give sacrificially like that young person who gave all that he had and said, I don't think this is enough, but here's what I've got. What in your life is God calling you to say that to? Here's what I've got. Here's all that I've got. Take it, God. What is he calling you to do that with? Second point, receiving his, we need to be ready to receive his gifts. Are you receiving his gifts? Are you instead thinking about, look at what I earned, look at what was someone gave me, look at how this happened because I was a good person? Or are you looking and seeing the gifts that God has given you? Are you ignoring the gifts because they're not what you wanted? Maybe you wanted a different gift, but he is providing in a different way. We often like here in America to have that, you know, independent, I don't need anyone, look what we did. And if someone gives you a gift, you're like, okay, now I got to get them a gift so we're not uneven. What if you just receive? The crowd did nothing but to follow Jesus. They didn't earn, do anything to earn the bread or fish. The more accomplished ones or the ones that got there first didn't get more than the other ones. Their role in that story was simply to sit back, recognize the gift, be thankful, point back to Jesus, but receive it. What is God calling you just to sit back and receive right now? By simply receiving and recognizing that miracle, they were becoming part of the story. By accepting, by us accepting Christ's sacrifice and entering into a relationship with him, that becomes our story. When we receive what he has freely given, we can't help but recognize who Jesus is, just the way that that crowd did. And finally, my third point, and I'll have the worship team come up now. We need to reflect God. That story wasn't Philip's story. And it wasn't even the 5,000 stories. And each of them have great stories to tell. But the point of telling that story isn't to tell about Philip. It isn't to tell about Andrew or the guy. It's to tell about Jesus. When we tell our stories, who's the star? Often we want to say, it's my story, I'm the star. Understandable. When you tell your story, when you listen to other stories, do you tell of God? Do you tell of how he moved 
in that situation, how he transformed, how he took something meager that you had to offer and turned it into something so much bigger. And you may do that. I'm gonna ask a really hard question. If someone were to tell your story from the outside, who just watched your life, would they include Jesus? Would they see how he is being reflected in your everyday actions? Would they include him? We've been talking about telling our stories, but we also need to remember we are living the stories that we are gonna tell next week, next month, next year. We are living those stories. And as we live those stories, we need to remember this. Our stories need to reflect us, need to, or need to reflect Jesus. It needs to have his vision for our lives and for what we face. And I would argue that only by hearing and learning the stories of everyone do we even come close, and by close I mean like a little bit closer, to really understanding who God is, who his power, what his power is, and his love. Because each of us have a story and it shows another unique way of his love, another unique way of his power. So share your stories. As you're living the stories that you will share in the future, remember to realign your vision with the situation of God's vision. Receive the gifts and blessings that he is showering on each of you and be thankful. And above all, make sure whoever is telling your story, whether it's you or someone else, whoever is telling your story can tell a story of God's love, his power, and his redemption. Let's stand and worship together, Grace City.